Welcome to episode 11 of Toy Fix Podcast. I'm Wes. I'm Andy. We're looking at X-Force Wave 2. I would say villains, but it's just the other three. Yes, exactly. As we talked about in our last episode, the line between hero and villain was blurred in the early days of X-Force. And there's no doubt that some of these people will be skirting the line. Should we jump straight into it? Let's jump right into it. Cable, third edition. I'm so excited to hear this bio. It's going to be totally different. Computer, access primitive power grid and effect electro-transport to coordinates outside Creed's Virginia headquarters. Access completed. Oh, not again. Cyborg warrior known as Cable is a man of mystery. While his origins remain unknown, his cunning and well-honed fighting skills, aided by his bionic limbs, are all too familiar to his enemies. In his short time as the leader of X-Force, he has taken that team of young mutants and forged them into a band of formidable soldiers. In a world that hates and fears those with mutant abilities, Cable believes only the toughest fighters will survive. Go his first. fighting skills are all too familiar to his enemies, and his action figures are all too familiar to us already, and we've only talked about them every single X-Force episode we've had. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Kate, I will say, like, obviously in the, X, the main X-Men line, there's lots of Wolverine figures, but there at least were... You know, Wolverine at that time was a character who had been a major character in the Marvel Universe for, like, I guess, like, closer to 20 years. Cable's been around at this point for, like, what? Like, two years? Two years. We've got, like, put up with, like, all these different Cable toys. I remember in episode one, when we were looking at the Wolverine mutant cycle, I talked about, wow, if we had pivoted to, like, take that marketing arm to look at Nightcrawler, how would things look different? Well, Cable is how things would look, because they decided Cable would be cool, Let's make Cable stuff. And I mean, here we are in 2020 and Cable still has his own comic book title. I was highly skeptical of Cable as a character in the early 90s. I did soften on him and begin to appreciate him as a character after the Age of Apocalypse. And I miss old man Cable. Um, as people who read the comics now know that he's been replaced by like a younger teen counterpart. When you say that Cable grew on you, after Age of Apocalypse, do you mean Cable Cable or do you mean X-Man Cable? Wait, do you mean like, are you differentiating between like Nate Gray from the Age of Apocalypse? Yes. No, I actually like liked his character too, even though in retrospect, his character is terrible. After the Age of Apocalypse, X-Force became much more closely tied to the X-Men proper. Cable had um, a much less adversarial relationship with the other leaders of the X-Teams and became more of like a sort of like caring father figure mentor to X-Force as opposed to like a drill sergeant. Here in the early 90s, I feel like he's bringing that drill sergeant energy. Like he reminds me of like the basketball coach who kind of scared me. Like I can see him in like one of those major pain hats with a whistle sort of running boom boom through her paces. I feel like uh, Shatterstar of this era had to act hyper masculine or else Cable would call him a pansy or something like that. Sure, it was a different time. The card back calls attention to the fact that X-Force has not been around for very long. <laughs> I wonder if that was like a little bit of the toy maker's frustration with just like the lack of characters and like lack of options for this toy line. I also like that Cable's motives sound almost like apocalypses in terms of believing only the fittest mutants will survive. Huh, I, it's almost like they have a lot in common and a shared history. Which I, which is one of the things about Cable that I find interesting but had not yet been developed in the comics at this time. Luckily, we don't have to cover everything about Cable in this episode because we're going to have to stretch this out for years. <laughs> Let's that's talk true, about Cable 3rd Edition. 
So do you know where this costume comes from, Wes? I'm so happy that you have an answer to that question that you're posing me. No, I don't. When the toy first came out, I just assumed they had like just given Cable a new costume so they could sell more toys. But thanks to the Real Gentleman of Leisure website, I know that this costume actually comes from one of his miniseries. I think it was called like Cable Blood and Metal, which I didn't know about and couldn't have cared about prior to it being relevant to this podcast. So here you see him wearing the costume that we see in the action figure. What's notable is that as far as I could tell, this was one of the only panels of this miniseries where this costume is clearly shown. He like he alternates between several different looks over the course of the two issue miniseries. So it really seems like they took this panel and decided to make a toy out of it. That takes some dedication. One thing they did switch up, I noticed they decided to have his shirt completely cover his torso. <laughs> so I don't even know how we describe the action figure. He, it's sort of like a stealth cable look. He's wearing a black suit with white boots. And then there's like a bit of a cutout for his bionic arm. Or it's not even bionic. It's like actually infected by the techno-organic virus. But in the original comic book, he's his like hurt shirt is sort of like a half shirt. So he's like exposing like one nipple and like half of his six pack. It's a bold statement. Uh, especially with all those pouches there, you're going to get a lot of rubbing. You're going to get a lot of probably some sore spots based on off the material. Like the leather is going to cause some chafing right there. It, it feels like a conservative gay Halloween costume to me. It's for the winter months. It's, it's a New England gay <laughs> Halloween costume. Like maybe I could use this as my inspiration uh, next Halloween. Yeah, he's also okay. got the the headpiece, you know, with the radio so that he could talk back to headquarters. I don't know who exactly Cable would radio it into because no one's bossing him around and no one is, is giving support to him because he can do it all by himself. So this is a two-issue limited series and I did actually just scroll through the entire thing trying to find images of another character we're going to talk about in a minute. And I will say that I did not read this comic because it just seemed like everything that I disliked about cable stories back during this era, like a bunch of like faceless characters that I'd never seen. It feels much more like a story about soldiers than superheroes, which is fine. But I, I didn't come to the X-Men to look to read stories about soldiers. I came to read about characters who wore bright, colorful spandex costumes. Yeah, I'm here for Kane first edition. Exactly. With that context, the picture you shared, that this action figure is a pretty fantastic representation of that one single panel that, that he appeared in in this outfit. No, it, it is. And is one of his accessories is a gun that actually has like a like sort of belt of bullets that goes through it. I don't know what that's called. Belt of bullets sounds about right to me. Okay. Which is like kind of a cool accessory. I will say it's also like a very like violent accessory for a children's toy. And his other accessory was like a rocket pack that I guess launched missiles. No, it looks like you could um, use the belt of bullets to actually like secure it to his back. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. Like a sling. Exactly like a sling. It is like kind of a cool costume, I guess. Um, it looks almost like a, almost like a shield uh, uniform. I didn't have this toy. I'm assuming you didn't either. No, I don't think I've ever even seen this one in person, to be honest. I don't think I have either. It just like nothing about it interests me. At least, I mean, as, as ridiculous as the cable in space idea was, at least that was like a concept for that toy. This just feels like a money grab. Like we made another figure of cable because we think you're dumb enough to buy it. But you know what's funny is like, there's a lot of unique and original tooling on this. So it's not like it was a cheap, easy repaint for them to make either. Yeah, this um, is like, a. it looks like it was like mostly a brand new figure. In fact, even the cable head sculpt is different from the head sculpt from the original cable. That's a level of artistic integrity that I really appreciate from Aviar Red's crew. The the mini 
series that this is taken from was was drawn by John Romita Jr., who I, I really like his art a lot, especially in the early 90s. That was enough to make me almost want to read it, but then I fell asleep uh, while I was scrolling through it because it looked so boring to me. Um, do we have anything else to say about this? Oh, we need to do the pouch scale for this one, don't we? Oh, I thought we'd keep it to the end, but yeah, let's let's go ahead oh, no, and pouch yeah, we it. Do, we'll, we'll keep it to the end. Keep uh, listening, listeners. <laughs> so does that mean we, it's time to talk about Kane? Second edition. Are we going to do Kane next? All right. In alphabetical order, I mean, it would be Kane. Oh, well, I, I think that Cruel is actually with a C, isn't it? It is nowadays, but the marketing on and the label on the packaging uh, is K. Well, we'll follow, we'll follow Toy Biz's lead and we'll do Kane next, I guess. I have a very large collection of Victorian walking canes. Some of them are incredibly sinister. I'd like to show you four of them that will completely shock you okay let me show you a product of the same weapon x program that created wolverine garrison kane's arms were replaced with a pair of multi-purpose bionic weapons now alongside his mentor cable he battles those menaces that would jeopardize the prosperity of the future as a member of the mercenary unit called six pack the toy isn't even branded as kane's second edition it's almost like they like wants to forget that there was a kane toy before this it is sort of weird yeah it doesn't say second edition it just says kane Although and I think on figure one... realm it says kane parentheses double fisted weapons I, I think that the the original kane was branded um on the toys like weapon x in parentheses kane wasn't oh good it? point yeah Good point. It was. This is just Kane. Can we talk about what a difference a year makes? (laughs) Kane went through a major glow up between 1992 and 1993. That reminds me of when you see those photos of Nick Jonas early in his career. And then Nick Jonas, when he was like on the deck of the boat with the hose, like in full daddy glory. Kane went from Cable's twink ex-boyfriend to full-blown daddy. And I'm here for it. He's pretty hot now. Kane went from that guy in your sophomore year who also did ballet as an elective (laughs) to joining the ROTC and he was deployed over the summer and he came back and all he's been doing is like lifting weights. I really, my my biggest comment about this photo and this photo, this figure is that like, it's really, it's, he, he got really hot. Thank you for your service, Garrison. Could you find the comic book basis of this costume? Is it sad that I had no interest in investigating that. I worked more on the next guy. Most of the comics that Kane appeared in were very boring because like his, you know, we, we've already talked about this in a previous episode. He was a member of Six Pack with Cable and then he joined GW Bridges' Weapon Prime team that was had an adversarial relationship with X-Force. And then there's, when the Cable miniseries, the Cable miniseries debuted, I think in 93, like around this time. This was after Cable supposedly died at the end of Executioner's Song. I feel like he went back to the future or something thing. In any case, Kane showed up there as well. I could not find any comic books where he actually wore this costume. And that's fine. He looks great in it. It doesn't, I mean, it, 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 if, listeners, if you know where this costume came from, write us and let us know. It, you know, Kane was very prolific in the early 90s, I'm sure, and it could be that some of his adventures have not yet been, had not been yet been archived on Marvel Unlimited. Maybe he had like a crossover where he appeared in Excalibur and this is what he decided to wear. Okay, so in terms of what Kane is wearing, it's, it's it's, it's pretty different from what he wore last time around. He doesn't have the like ballet tights anymore. Instead, he has like these really 
you know, mask, red boots that have armor on them. So whereas before he was wearing um, this like little sort of like sailor tunic kind of thing. So now he like in like in with short sleeves to show off his bionic arms. Now he's like wearing like a shirt with like cut off sleeves. Like you can see some side pack on there. He is like, he is showing off the guns completely. And it's a really good look for him. When you have cybernetic guns that are manufactured for you, I would show them off too. He also just like, he looks a little bit like older and more, um, I don't want to say grizzled, more tough. That he does. And it's funny because his first figure, Weapon X, he looked sort of svelte compared to the rest of the characters. He was more trim, more skinny, and now he's definitely X-Force because he's got, well, actually, he still has a little bit of that flair to him, right, with that vest. Oh, yeah. No, he's still he's still gay, for sure, which is why I love this figure. Yeah, he's got the, like, the little, like, sort of, like, mocked collar thing. I don't know what you would call that. Is, like an, is it an Eaton collar? Is that what it's called? An Eaton collar? I don't know. I'm eating it all up. I love it. Yeah, so I had this toy. <laughs> no surprises there. Even though I didn't like know who Kane was, I had two Kane action figures and like woof. Like I, I don't know why I bought this as a kid, but it could be that it was my latent mutant power beginning to manifest <laughs> and my, my attraction to this toy. Maybe it was the very unique action feature that was advertised with him. The, the double-fisted weapons. Like it's sort of an interesting use to have have like a a portable fan as an action feature. <laughs> yes, yes. He has this like weird like, yeah, I mean, it looks like the blades of a fan and, like, and then like his wrist could spin so you could like spin it. If you think of like actually using this as a melee weapon, like it's an incredibly violent weapon. Like, it would, you know, it, it's like it's like a machete, but four. <laughs> the only thing you could do with this would be to cut, not even to stab, but just to cut. While running forward, because you certainly don't want it near your body. <laughs> Exactly. And then his other his other um, wrist, the one holding the, the, the hand holding the gun, like that could kind of like extend also. Because rem- remember, like Kane's whole thing is that his hands can can detach from his body and, and, and go wherever they need him to go. It's a pretty awesome power. It's almost as cool as Grizzly's eight powers. So I don't think that Kane is really in comics anymore. I don't even know if he's considered a mutant. So I don't know if we'll see him on Krakoa. I thought we sort of established that he might not, that he was not, at least to our understanding. But uh, I could see him sort of using this propeller, Mary Poppins style, to fly to Krakoa. That's, that's how he would get through the gate, uh, the problem of no gates. Well, yeah, he would just fly over the ocean and land there and then meet little baby Cable and show him the ways of the world. So this is an image from that same Cable Blood and Metal miniseries. And this is Kane as he appeared there. Oh, that's I the exact pre- same costume. That is that. It's, yeah, I mean, it, it is, but there's one major difference. In this version, he's not wearing a shirt at all. We know how the X-Force men sort of like to lounge around shirtless, much less fight shirtless, of course. So I think, I mean, I think it's sexy first and foremost, obviously, but I also uh, I also like it. So he has bionic arms, but when he's shirtless, you can see that like it's actually sort of like the left and right side of his torso is also bionic, which I think is kind of a cool look. Yeah, but like through the entire comic, as far as I could tell, when he puts the shirt on it's like the same red shirt that we saw from his last toy not ah. the new gray shirt that we see here well that's the great thing about that little red top it pairs well with multiple different outfits um i also want to show you this other image from that comic so again i didn't like read it so i'm not gonna be able to provide you the full context of this image you can see that this was i think when like kane 
got like new bionic arms that look like real arms, maybe? I don't know. In any case, Kane wakes up and he's like suspended. At first I thought he was totally naked. He's actually wearing white briefs. And Cable is like smiling down at him. I just like this because I think it further cements my conceptualization of what their relationship was to each other. And Cable's definitely like wearing the robe from the hotel room. <laughs> oh yeah, no, exactly. He's like wearing like a like a robe. Strangely, he is wearing a t-shirt underneath it, which is so bizarre because the X-Force men always wear no t-shirt. I don't know. I guess I guess like that panel was already so hot they had to like cover something up in order to get it past the comics code authority. I'm so glad we put that behind us. <clears throat> yeah. I really didn't expect um you know, the, the, the back half of this X-Force wave to be to be so like, whew, but it is. In researching the X-Force series, which both you and I, it sounds like, sort of were not reading at the time, my interest in the stories have definitely reactivated. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's fascinating because Rob Liefeld has came out like so um, against the, uh, when, when Shatterstar was revealed to be bisexual in um, X-Factor, I don't know, a little bit over 10 years ago, Rob Liefeld, who created the character, came out as being like sort of so anti that character development. Yeah, he said that he was like sort of not gendered or not... Um, I think asexual. Asexual, okay. But I think that like, to, I think that to characterize it that way is making Rob's, you know, it's been a long time since this happened and I could be misremembering it, but I don't think that Rob was like, no, I was trying to create like a, you know, a representation of an asexual character. I think more like Rob was like, my my fighter from the Mojoverse can't be gay. I feel like it was more like that kind of a reaction. That's fair. There's a lot of, there are a lot of things in the early days of X-Force that like would be of interest to queer characters. I mean, you do have these like sort of sexy male characters we've been talking about. You have like a bunch of like really cool, strong female characters as well. Unfortunately, they were not represented in these waves of the toy line because the toy biz refused to make figures of women characters. And not to suggest that strong women characters would only be of interest to gay readers. But I do think that that's one group that they would be of interest to. But it's sort of too bad that the stories were like crap because there's a lot of like sort of like pieces on the board that could have been really interesting with, I think, a better writer. Yeah. And I mean, I know you and I have been <laughs> texting each other screenshots from the, these comics as we've been researching X-Force. And it's funny now revisiting them and looking at the art and looking at the language and the storylines and just sort of the whole environment they created. It almost is like a throwback to when queer characters had to be coded, at least reading it. And I was like, was that, it seems like it wasn't the intention, but boy, I mean, if it was my intention, I couldn't have done it more straightforward. No, exactly. And like, you think about um, like, like one of the plot points was, um, you know, Gideon uh, took Sunspot in to sort of like mentor him to be like an external. I like that relationship feels like there might be some homoerotic subtext to it. Oh, seriously. Uh, Our next character, I actually have an extended (laughs) discussion about that. Shall we go into the next character then? Now's a good time to talk about the only villain of wave two, cruel with a K. Uh, with a K and K R U L E spelling. So sweet, such a of the long-lived strain of mutant kind called the Externals. Cruel has had literally a millennium to perfect the arts of savagery and torture he enjoys so much. Because of his fiery personality, 
he finds himself unable to work his evil schemes slowly over centuries in the manner of his fellow externals. Krul is more likely to act in a moment of passion, counting on his ferocious mutant strength to see him through to victory. Krul's campaigns have led him into battle against the members of X-Force, particularly Cannonball, who, as one of the external High Lords, he considers to be a blood enemy. So cruel. The naming conventions on X-Force characters just got lazier as that first year went by, didn't they? I mean, yeah, this is like such a like trope of the early 90s. You're like, we're going to name him Cruel. We're going to spell it with a K. We're going to mix up the spelling a little bit. It's a very lame name for a character. Just the like the color choices of the character. So he has this like sort of lavendery skin, orange cutoffs, uh, and then some like sort of orange accessories and a long orange high ponytail, which I guess was really popular in the early 90s. He has like the Ariana look. That ends in like a mace. Thankfully, the the write-up sort of avoids the more problematic parts of Cruel's background because Cruel's also wearing sort of like neck beads. As I looked into it, Cruel apparently is somehow from Africa, but also worked in Nazi death camps. Like, that's how bad he is. Uh, He sort of has that, like, he has, like, he does have, like, the the neck beads, and his his accessory is shrunken heads. And so it it does feel like um, there's, like, a lot of, like, sort of exoticism exoticization and it feels like there are some racist stereotypes that were um, a major part of his character design but also not a surprise unfortunately unfortunately not a surprise I want to get back to like sort of like the, the color choices like you know like I love a brightly colored action figure but these two colors next to each other just look awful like they make my eyes want to vomit it is a pastel paired with not a pastel like something is just a bit off yeah i mean like if he had, if it had been like a dark purple if his skin were a dark purple i think it would have like looked really cool and like really popped but it just like it just like ugh, i do not like the way it looks so you were researched cruel um why don't you tell us about him i mean he first showed up in x-force 12 which came out july 92 and that's sort of when the series had already pivoted away from like rob liefeld and they were sort of trying to create other things he starts, he shows up and, you know, obviously he's fighting Gideon in, like, I think Madripoor. It um, is Madripoor, and, and Gideon has never looked gayer than he looks in that issue. Oh, he's gosh. Got, <laughs> he's got these jazzer-sized leg warmers. I would have, well, I guess we'll talk about our wishes for other figures later in the episode. They definitely have some interesting pictures where they're apparently fighting, but it doesn't look like it. Then Gideon, though they fight, um, Gideon invites him back to his place, where Sunspot is like, uh, who is this? And there's like a major like domestic violence situation because Gideon like knocks Sunspot out. And then there's like, sorry about my boy toy. Like, let's talk. No, like it, the whole scene does feel like Gideon is bringing like an ex-lover back to the place and Sunspot is like, who's he? And then, oh, and then poor yeah, Roberto. It, oh, yeah, it's all, it's all problematic. I read the whole issue. I love when Farrell <laughs> calls Boom Boom Peroxide Forest. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, so I read the issue as well, and I also loved that. Um, and it just, I, I, it, it is another reason why I'm so sad we didn't get a feral action figure. <laughs> I would have loved to have a little toy that could call other characters Peroxide Forest on my shelf. In the absence of that, maybe Cruel can fill that role for you, because he, he was around for a couple of issues, and then he just sort of disappeared like so many of these storylines. He shows up again, I think, in X-Force 14, and briefly battles X-Force. But like when I say briefly, I mean that they battled for like two pages and the battle culminates with Richter who has like recently joined the team. They're like on like a like a shield aircraft 
and Richter like vibrates cruel out of the aircraft and he like falls to the ground and they're like is he dead I don't think so he's an external and then that's and, like, and then, then at that point he's out of the story well I think I saw as I was researching a picture of him in like a full body cast was that from before that I did not see that that's amazing bad yeah so cruel's gone he's shown up since then but now he goes with the C-R-U-L-E well he shows up again in like the like in the post Age of Apocalypse X-Force issues which I was reading when they brought back the externals just to kill them all off in the storyline called Even an External Can Die. Gideon gets killed off in that storyline and it turns out to be Selena who's been killing them. I don't think that Selena kills Cruel there but I didn't honestly I didn't go back and check and I don't I don't care. Do you know that he showed back up recently in the um, Dawn of X Excalibur storyline? I did not know that. Coming into Ten of Swords Apocalypse had been like scheming for like the past year in Excalibur. And the culmination of that scheme involved gathering the externals again and then killing four of them and casting a spell to change their bones into crystals to open a gateway to Otherworld, which oh. is a pretty significant departure from Apocalypse's character prior to Dawn of X. But I will say it's also probably the most interesting thing he's done in years. I'm not quite sure why he has to make another gate to Otherworld, because I think they just went through one that Rogue had opened somehow. I don't quite understand. This was a this was a permanent gate. I actually I, I was going to reread Excalibur because I reading it month to month as it was coming out. I found I found it hard to follow the plot because it was so intricate and I couldn't remember all the plot beats from issue to issue. A lot of Betsy and a lot of Brian. So, um, but yeah, making my way through it. Well, I, again, I'm sorry to spoil it for you, but Cruel ends up as a pile of bones that gets turned into a crystal. He is not on Krakoa. I mean, I guess he is on Krakoa, but not as like a character who can walk around and talk. It doesn't seem like he's going to be anytime soon. It's not clear to me if they're going to resurrect the externals who were turned into a gate. Well, if he died on Krakoa, he could technically be resurrected quite easily. I guess you're right. So we might see him again. We'll see if he moves up the, the wait list above, you know, some of these other losers he, who keep getting brought back like Kid Omega. Forearm was brought back, we know. Maybe, maybe we'll see Cruel like show up in a background scene at like uh, at the bar or whatever. Um, Just like Grizzly. Exactly. So I did have this toy as... You know, not surprising. I don't know why. I don't, you know, like, I don't, I I remember having it. I don't remember doing much with, like, I'm sure I played with it, but, like, he's not a character that I had any kind of investment in. I think the issues with the toy are really based in the issues with the character in general. I do think it's, like, a fairly faithful recreation of the character as he was depicted in the comics. It's true. Uh, And it, it looks pretty good. The one thing is his expression is perhaps a bit sleepy for the one villain that we have in Wave 2. He doesn't look very, like, we hear about his fiery passion on Cardback, but we don't really see that in terms of the face sculpt. He's giving a little bit of a smolder, but that's about it. I think that's being generous. One thing I will give him props for, uh, much like Weapon X, Wolverine Logan, he's one of the few figures we've seen up to this point who the packaging only has himself in the upper left-hand corner, which is pretty exciting. Because there were no other villains in the wave. It's been all downhill for Cruel since then, however. I mean, this was really the high point for him as a character, unfortunately. Thank goodness you and I have continued to grow since 1993 and aren't on the decline. Let's talk about how many pouches. How many pouches? So just to remind our listeners, the pouch scale is um, it's a scale of one to five. It's for cable variants. It's a measure of superfluousness of the toy. 
with five being totally superfluous and one being essential. I'm gonna give this one a five because I don't think that there's anything notable about it. I mean, I will say one thing that's going for it is that like given that, you know, Cable changed costumes more often than the Wasp, you could just use this as like your default Cable toy. But when people picture Cable in their minds, no one pictures him in this costume. And it's not, again, like it doesn't even have like this sort of interesting gimmick of being like Cable in space. This is just like, oh, Cable like in the winter months when, you know, Baby Blue wasn't in season. Yeah, it's Cable when his normal costume's in the laundry. I, I was right there with you on five. There's no debate there. I'm surprised Cable 3rd Edition was so inessential. Yeah, well, I think that the reason why we ended up with this very, you know, not necessary cable toy is just that there were not that many characters that Toybus had to choose from in terms of producing this wave. That's a good time to talk about wishes. We talk about it a lot, I know. The, the fact that Toybiz refused to make female characters, I think is just, it's like really frustrating in this wave because there were so many great female characters in X-Force who could have gotten toys. Like again, like Domino, Feral, I think would have been like really cool toys. Instead, we got like stuck with these dregs because Toy Biz just had so few characters to choose from. And even if they had been sticking with males only, they could have stretched a bit more. Like we said, Cruel is the only bad guy. In the last wave, we got Strife, we got Forearm. Even if you're willing to say like, they're not gonna create any female characters, there are a bunch of cool male characters from the Mutant Liberation Front. There's Zero, Reaver, and again, like, and there's also like a ton of really cool female characters. I would have loved to have seen a Tempo action figure. She's an interesting character. She actually got some character development when she showed up in X Factor in the early 90s and she has a really cool costume and look. Yeah, I believe we talked sort of extensively about her uh, in our first X-Force episode. At this point, Richter had shown up a couple of times as a member of Weapon Prime. I don't think that the writers had any way of knowing that he would have, because he was a member of the New Mutants, then he left before they became X-Force. He had never, when he was part of Weapon Prime, he had never been a part of X-Force. Eventually he would join X-Force. In retrospect, it would have made a lot of sense to make a figure of him at this time, but I think that when they're looking at the Weapon Prime characters, it makes sense to me that they chose Grizzly over Richter because he's just more visually interesting, but you know, ultimately it was a flash in the pan character, whereas Richter is not. Right there with you, if they were going to add a hero, I was going to suggest Sunspot, especially because they were so heavy with the <laughs> Gideon storyline. It would have been nice for Gideon to show up at the party, not by himself. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And Sunspot left the New Mutants before they became X-Force and then hung out with Gideon for a while. So he'd never been a member of X-Force at this point either. And I don't think that when he was hanging out with Gideon, he had like a superhero costume he was wearing. I can see why that could have like made them less likely to make a toy of him because it like it would, he would have just been like a guy. He could just be in a robe and lounge pants waiting for Gideon to come home. Can we talk about Richter's look when he showed up in, in this era as a member of Weapon Prime? Uh, are you talking about the mysteriously tattered pants and the, what do you call that type of shirt? Because I know you you texted this to me shortly before we started recording. So, oh my gosh. I don't even, it's like his shirt to me looks like, it's really just a scarf that has like a fringe bottom, right? Like it's not a shirt. It's like it, what Christina Aguilera wears in the What a Girl Wants music video, except it's red. And he's got the like the, the long flowing hair. He has the headband. He has the asymmetrical single shoulder pad. I mean, I, like, I don't know how you could tell me that this character was not queer coded. He looks really queer to me. You'd think Weapon Prime could have afford to buy 
uniforms that aren't completely tattered to shreds. Uh, indeed, indeed. Um, I would have loved to have seen a toy of this version of Richter, but I can understand why they chose not to make it. I, I also wonder if there could have, if there was a space for a second edition of Garrison Kane, I wonder if there could have been uh, a second edition Gideon wearing the costume that he's wearing when he first shows up with Cruel, where he has what appear to be like spandex leggings with leg warmers. It's a really attention-grabbing look. And then he, he could have had properly colored green hair. Indeed. Um, in all seriousness, I think that this actually could have been a cool toy. If they were going to make another edition of Cable, obviously they were they were just they decided to make two additional cable action figures. I don't know why they didn't make one of Cable as he was depicted in his early appearances, where he's shirtless and wearing an open blue vest, blue pants and gray boots, and of course gray shoulder pads. He wore this for several issues. This was not just like a single, you know, a single panel. I think that this could have been a, a cool look for them to make an action figure out of. You alluded to this in our last episode, but as we get further into the X-Force line, at this point in the history, you know, they're more connected to the larger X-Universe and the X-Men in particular than we saw before. It will open the door for some more classic characters to appear in this line, which I think is going to make it a more interesting line as we go on. Yeah, that's where I start purchasing X-Force action figures. So, social media? We want to hear from you. If you like this podcast, um, please let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Toy Fix Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Toy Fix Podcast. And I'm still checking the email, toyfixpodcast at gmail.com. Exactly. So tell us if you had these toys, um, what you thought about them, what your memories are, if you were reading X-Force at this time, um, especially since Wes and I were not, if there's anything that we got wrong or if there's more context that would be interesting for us to know about, please drop us a line and let us know. We would love to see your academic articles analyzing the themes and tropes of these early years of X-Force, because there's a lot to read there. I also am interested in any Garrison Kane cosplays, if anyone's, you know, decided to pay tribute to this storied character in that way. We want to see it. If you if you like the podcast, please take time to rate us on wherever you get the podcast. That can really help in terms of helping new listeners find us. And if you know other people who like the X-Men, who you think would enjoy the podcast, please let them know about it. Should we uh, do some citations, Wes? Thank you, Figure Realm. Your pictures and your write-ups on the back are amazing and a constant reference for me. Thank you, Real Gentleman of Leisure. Uh, I really appreciate the information about how the X-Force toys tie into the X-Force and Cable Comics of the era, which I am not as familiar with. Um, I also want to thank Wikipedia and suggest that Wikipedia consider giving Theodore Teddy Winchester his own page because I think he deserves that. Also, thanks to Marvel Fandom Wiki. I relied on you extensively for for coverage about Grizzly as well as Cruel. And and also um, Marvel Unlimited, which both of uh, Wes and I used to just read, really carefully read these wonderful stories from the early 90s. It's pretty awesome that it's digitized and is so easy to access. The art is amazing to see up close. It it is very cool. Like we, you know, before Marvel Unlimited, like doing a podcast like this would have been, um, you know, it would have been much more difficult. So, until Marvel creates a hero named Kind with a C instead of a K, make mine toy fix. Mm-hmm.